Ecclesiastes chapter number 9. For all this, I considered in my heart, even to clear all this, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. No man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before them. All things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean, to the unclean, to him that sacrificeth, to him that sacrificeth not. As is the good, so is the sinner. And he that sweareth, as he that feareth an oath. This is an evil among all things that are done under the earth. But there is one event unto all. Yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. For to him that is joined to all living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished, neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart, for God now accepteth thy works. Let thy garments be always white, and let thy head lack no ointment. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun, all the days of thy vanity. For that is thy portion in this life, and thy labor which thou takest under the sun. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. Well, tonight I'm going to preach on love, laugh, and feast. Love, laugh, and feast. Even though this world is as messed up as it is, and even though life gets really hard, or even when we are troubled, the Bible gives us the right perspective on life and tells us how we can view this world in light of what Christ has done for us. We can, in all situations, rejoice in the Lord. Whatever the future holds, for good or for ill, my life is in God's hand. And as we read the book of Ecclesiastes, we we don't read it as Old Testament Jewish people, because we're not, we read it as Christians. And so as we read the book of Ecclesiastes, we know that our life is... As Christians, it is safe in Christ. And so, even though the first part of this section is kind of dark, the point is that we trust in God and we live our life loving and rejoicing and even feasting as we trust in Him. So, um, we're going to look at, look at it in three sections. And the first it's just in verse number one that we trust 
in Christ because we are in the hands of God. So the first thing in verse number one is we are in the hands of God. So for he, the preacher says, for all this I considered in my heart, even to declare all this. So he's considering everything and all the different ways in which we've looked at life under the sun so far. So when he talks about life under the sun, he's just talking about life as we look around life the way that it is. So, for example, whenever he was talking in verse number six, um, or verse number five and six, talking about the dead don't know anything and that kind of thing, what he's talking about from the perspective of just looking around this world. And so as the preacher is considering life in this earth, just from the vantage point of this life and this vanity, he's starting to sum it up. I know we still got a few chapters to go in the book of Ecclesiastes, but, but he's starting at this point to sum it all up. And if we take all the arguments that we've looked at thus far in the previous eight messages that we've studied in the previous eight chapters, there's something the preacher has figured out. There is something that there's a thread that runs through this, this whole book thus far. And he said, and I've considered all of it in my heart. And I'm, I'm going to declare all this, that, that there is something that is in common, no matter what philosophy, no matter who you are and what you do in this life. The righteous, the wise, on all their works are in God's hands. We don't know what the future holds for us in this life. God is sovereign. And you're not sovereign. God knows all things. And you don't know all things. We live life under the sun. God holds the whole universe in, in his hands. God is sovereign. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know what tomorrow holds. So that's one thread that he's seen throughout all this that Life under this, in this, under the sun, it's vanity. It's it's frustrating. It's vexing. It's confusing. It's a it's a mystery sometimes to us. It's a an enigma, but not to God. It is to us, but not to God. So that's one thing that, that he sees here that that God knows all things, even though that we don't. But that doesn't make us fatalists. It doesn't make us stoics. We don't look at this life and just shrug our shoulders and say, well, that's the way the ball bounces. It's the way it goes sometimes and move on. No, we look at life as Christians. We read Ecclesiastes as Christians. And so he says that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hands of God. Well, we know that no one is righteous apart from Christ. We know that Christ is the wisdom of God. And we know that our works don't earn a salvation, but are a result of the grace of God and the grace we have received from God through his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because Christ has given us his righteousness, because he has cleansed us in his precious blood, because he, we are indwelled by the spirit of God, and we know that we are his and we belong to him. 
Our entire life is in is safe in the Lord's hands. All of our life and our works are in the hand of God, it says in verse 1. Now no man knoweth love or hatred by all that is before them. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen tonight. But we do know we're safe in God's hands. My Father who loves me sent his only begotten Son into this world to die as my substitute that I would have everlasting life. And no matter what happens, for good or for ill, I am safe in the Lord's hands. In 2 Timothy chapter number 1, in verse number 12. It says, For the which cause I also suffer these things, Paul said, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul suffered much as a minister and a preacher of the gospel. He was an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. He was stoned and imprisoned and beaten and persecuted and hated, and he suffered much for the Lord Jesus Christ to preach his gospel. He said, I'm not ashamed of that. Because I know in whom I have believed. I know who I'm trusting in. And he said, I am persuaded that he can keep that which I've committed unto him. Which, well, which is what? Himself. He is persuaded that Christ will keep him. He is able to keep him. And he will keep him. So he's not ashamed of the, the trials that he faces, of the troubles that he endures, because he knows he is in the hands of his God. Most like uh, the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 1, and verse number 5, that we are begotten again, born again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, Verse 4 tells us we have an inheritance incorruptible and defiled that fadeth not away, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation to be ready to be revealed in the last time. So we can rejoice, as it says in verse 6, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. Why can we rejoice? Because we are kept by the power of God. We are in the hand of God. And though the trial of our faith may be hard and burdensome, though for a season we go through heaviness and many temptations and trials and, and hardships, we know that we are in the hand of God. We know, for good or for ill, we are safe in Christ. And so as Christians, we can read this and, and even rejoice, knowing that we can rest in Him. I can rest in my work and my labor in this life. I can, I can 
trust Christ and love others because the results of my service and your service are in the hands of God. Now, as Christians, our work is not what we expect. Our duty unto our Lord isn't always the way that we think that it ought to be or we're expected to be. You can love someone and they can turn on you and and you try to help them and they can they can bite you. You can try to do people good and they they might stab you in the back. Or you can mess something up and think that you're a total and utter failure and the Lord can use it in a mighty way. Sometimes you don't know what to say to somebody and and you just do the best as you can. You walk away and say, boy, I really messed that up. And then they come back later and tell you how the Lord used you and and helped you um, or helped them through your words. We don't know how the Lord can use our works and sometimes um, it's not what we expect in the bad way. Sometimes it's not what we expect in the good way. But my life is in God's hands. And as we live for his glory and serve him as he tells us to, he'll use your works as he sees fit. And that that is enough for us, just to know that we are in God's hands, we are his servants, we are his tools to use as he pleases, whether it's for good or for ill. And that, that is good enough for us. I can rest in any situation because I know that I'm in the hand of God. So I can serve the Lord knowing that I'm in his hand. I can rest in any situation knowing I'm in his hand. No matter what the problem is, I am not forsaken of God. Assurance of salvation doesn't come from how I feel or how you feel. Assurance doesn't come ultimately from what you do. Assurance is trust in what Christ has done for us. So our experience of assurance can go up and down. You can feel closer to the Lord or further from the Lord. You can have more strength and more um, confidence personally. But that doesn't make you more or less saved. That That doesn't mean... One day God has you firmly in his hands and then one day you're hanging on by a thread. Our assurance comes in the promises of God that we are safe and secure in him. Now our experience of assurance can go up and down depending on how we act and depending on how we think and so forth. But I'm not safe by how I think or how I feel. I don't know about you, but sometimes I wake up and feel bad and I don't even know why. Just uh, just have a melancholy sense about me and, and there's no reason for it. That's just, that's just the way I feel. Well, does that mean that I'm, I'm outside of Christ now? Does that mean because my feelings changed that, that I'm less in Christ? No, because I'm not trusting in myself. I'm not trusting in how I feel. I'm trusting in Christ. What did Jesus say in John chapter 10 and verse 27?
He said, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Why? Because we're hanging on tight, because we're good, because we're, we're um, strong. No, because my Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So we are safe in that no one can pluck us out of the Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And thus, no one can take us from the hand of Christ no one can take us from the hand of the Father. We are safe in Christ. We are safe in the Father. So if there is someone that is stronger than God, then they might be able to take us from the Father's hand. If there is someone more powerful than the Almighty, or more wise than the All-Wise, then perhaps, but we know that there is none mightier, none wiser, none stronger. We are in the hand of God. For good or for ill, He chose us. He sent His Son to die for us. We are justified. We are cleansed. We are redeemed. We are purchased. We belong to Him. We have been sealed by the Spirit. and We have the promise of everlasting life. We have an inheritance waiting for us in heaven, and we are kept by the power of God. So no matter what tomorrow may bring, no one can prime me from the hand of the Lord Jesus. Not even me. I can't even do it. I can't wiggle myself out of the hand of God. He's got me. And because he's got me, I can face tomorrow. I can live. I can endure. I can press on. Because of him, because of what he does for us, and who he has, and what he's given us. I can also move forward without worry, because my future is in the hands of God. Now, if you look in the text there, it says the righteous and the wise and their works. Well, the wisdom is living in the fear of the Lord. Much of the wisdom literature is about making decisions, discerning the times, walking in the spirit, making the right choices in our life, doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing. So a lot of the Proverbs, a lot of the wisdom literature in Ecclesiastes, even what we're about to read here is do this and don't do that and, and you'll be blessed and those sorts of things. When he's talking about the wise, he's talking about people who are living in the fear of the Lord. Sometimes there's stress in whether we make the right choice or not, or if we do the right thing. Well, the child of God can move forward, knowing tomorrow is in God's hand. I have, um, I have this a list that a um, friend of mine gave me many years ago. Um, it was about how to make 
how to make decisions in your life. And uh, there's a pastor that had wrote a little article on how to make uh, decisions when you don't know what to do, what kind of job to take, you know, that, that sort of thing. And, you know, he said, you know, all, of course, obey the scriptures. Don't sin. If the Bible says not to do something, then you know God doesn't want you to do that. If the Bible tells you to do something, you know the Bible wants, you know you're supposed to do that, right? So you say, well, I know the Lord wants me to be in the house of God, so no matter what decision I make, I can say, will this take me from the house of God or, or will, it, will it not? You know, that, that kind of thing. Well, he goes through some of the wisdom in the scriptures. And the last thing was, he said, once you make your decision, make it and move on. So you can't spend your last, the rest of your life looking backwards and saying, well, did I make the right decision or not? He said, because once you've made that decision, you're on that path. And that's the way that God has ordained for you to go. And it doesn't do you any good to look backwards the rest of your life and say, well, what if? Because, it, you know, that, that's an impossibility. You can't turn back the clock and, re, and undo something that you, you've done, you know, that you're, you've already passed that. So he said, make your decision in wisdom and then live with it. Was basically that last point. Well, if our life is in the hands of God, and our works are in the hands of God, then we can trust tomorrow in the providence of God. We can move forward knowing that tomorrow is in God's hands. So, well, what if I what if I mess up? Well, does that mean that God's going to release you from his love and care? Or does that mean in his providence he's, he's, he's going to use even your mistakes and your hardships for his glory and for your good? Do all things work together for good or only some things work together for good? So we can trust our lives to the sovereignty of God. I do that sometimes. I, we probably all do it. Look back and, and just say, well, I, I should have never done this thing or that thing. I, I should have never uh, you know, took that job or, or whatever the case might be. Um, I, I'm reading a book about the, a ship in the Royal Navy back in the 1700s. and I told Crystal yesterday that uh, if I hadn't hurt my knee in high school, then I would have been in the Navy, and I said I would have sailed the, the seas like, uh, like those sailors would have. And, and then she reminded me, she said, well, if you'd done that, we probably wouldn't have never met. And, and um, you know, that, that's true. You look back and said, boy, that, that's bad that, that, you know, I got injured, and then, um, you know, my life went a completely opposite direction than I thought it would. Well, is it bad, or is it the Lord in his providence moved me in a different direction where uh, my life is what it is now? Would I look back and say, well, I wish that all the things and the joys and the people I've met and all the things that I've done um, is, is for ill? No, I can look back and say, wow, God in his providence has orchestrated my life not in the way that I would have planned it or not the way that I did plan it, but the way he planned it. 
And if I can look backwards and see how I've got from South Shore, Kentucky to here through all the places that I've been and see how the Lord is blessed, then I can trust tomorrow is going to be the same, that God is still going to be with me. Our life is in God's hands. And so if we walk in the fear of the Lord and trust Him, we don't have to fear the future. Psalms 37 and 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, though you mess up, though you don't do the right thing, though you fall flat on your face, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor received begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth and the seed is blessed. So we can have a little bit of confidence as God's people. Not that we can live in sin and just expect the Lord to bless us, but if we walk in wisdom, if we walk seeking the Lord's face, even if we don't, even if we mess up, we're not going to fall away. We're not going to be utterly cast down. We'll fall, we might fall on our face, but at least we're falling forward. At least we're falling in the right direction. So he is ever merciful to us. That brings us to the second section of this, and that's verses 2 through 6. The wages of sin. So this kind of summarizes everything that Solomon's been thinking about thus far. But now we get to some pretty dark things here. There's one thing that comes to us all. So as we live in the fear of the Lord, we also remember this truth about life. The road eventually comes to an end. And as it says there in the text, it doesn't matter if you're a good guy, if you're a bad guy. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter if you're clean and pure. It doesn't matter if you're religious or a heathen. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a pagan. Doesn't matter if you do good deeds or live in filth. We're all going to die. Well, the preacher says at the beginning of verse 3 that this is an evil under the sun. It's not supposed to be like this, is it? Well, originally it wasn't. You know, you can look at like the, the preacher and, and, and look at life under the sun and say, why is it that a serial killer can go free and then a little baby gets cancer. You say, well, that's, that's not right. That's an evil under the sun that it seems like if you do good that you should get good. And, and the preacher says that it doesn't work like that. That, that there's a road and there's an end to it for everybody. Well, to live in wisdom reminds us that we're living under a curse. And no matter how we live, our days are numbered. There's one event that we're not going to escape. That's something a wise person will think about. It's also something that will make you wise. Moses said in Psalm 90, verse 9, 
All our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that's told. The days of our years are threescore and ten, and by reason of strength, if they be fourscore years, yet is there strength and labor and sorrow, for it's soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Moses, the preacher, they say, it'll make you wise to remember that we're under a curse, that we're not going to live forever. Why is that true? Well, the second part of verse 3 answers the question. Yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil and madness is in their heart while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. We die because of sin. The wages of sin is death. We're born under a curse. We're born sinners. We're born guilty in Adam. And every person, every, every little baby born has a heart that is desperately wicked, has a heart that's cursed, has a mind that is set towards evil things. And it's not that it's unfair that we all face death when we understand why people die to begin with. The marvel of it is is that God allows us to live. The preacher is looking at it from the perspective of we're all going to die. But consider how long-suffering God is that we're all alive right now. We were talking about this at dinner the other night that that when Adam fell, the whole world was under that curse. And then from Genesis 3 all the way to um, Genesis 6, people got more evil and more evil until the whole world was full of wickedness. The pinnacle of, of evil. The whole earth covered it. And God brought judgment and wiped out the whole earth. Then he made a covenant with Noah after the flood that he wasn't going to allow, he wasn't going to destroy the earth again with water and that, that in the process of time, the earth will continue to spin. There will continue to be summer, winter, springtime and harvest because God was going to send his son into this world to die for his people. And how did God... How did God signify that with the rainbow? The rainbow that you see everywhere now, as as Satan takes it to to pervert it to mean um, depravity, is really a reminder that we all deserve death. But God in his long-sufferingness allows men to live three score and ten years, and four score years. He allows us to live. He's patient and he's long-suffering, and every breath that we take is God's mercy towards us. So the question isn't, well, it's not fair that we die. The question is, how marvelous is God's mercy and his patience that, that we still are alive? How many times have you sinned against the Almighty God? 
How many times have you committed sins that are worthy of death? And yet here we are tonight. So wisdom looks at life in the right perspective. Yes, there is an end. But we know why there's an end. It's because of sin and because of the curse. And so we look at it through the eyes of mercy that, that we're still alive. And where there's life, there's hope. As the saying goes. Well, he says in... Uh, He says uh, at the end of verse number four, a living dog is better than a dead lion. Well, that's sort of a weird saying if you think about it. Uh, a living dog is better than a dead lion. Well, the preacher d doesn't think about dogs the way some of us think about dogs. In these days, dogs weren't uh, pets. They were nuisances. They were unclean uh, animals. They were pests not beloved pets. And so we think of dogs, you might think of man's best friend, they thought of them as just nuisance animals. Um, there used to be some dogs in our, one of our neighbors had them, and they were not chained up or anything, and they just roamed free through the houses, and they'd go and leave their house and go into our yard and mess in our yard, then go to our neighbor's yard and mess in theirs. They go and dig up Crystal's flowers and, and bark all night long, get every dog within two or three miles barking. I haven't seen them in a while, so I don't know if someone had enough of them or not, but uh, they're not around anymore. Those things were nuisances, and maybe somebody had enough and did something that they probably shouldn't have done. I don't know, but they were not the beloved uh, neighborhood pets, that was to be sure. Well, that's how the Jewish people looked at these animals. They weren't pets, they were nuisances. And that the preacher's way of looking at things, this very wise man said the cat was superior to the dog. The lion, the cat, the king of the jungle, the noble beast, the lion of the tribe of Judah, think of that. He was the superior animal than the feral, wild dog. All right, so you got the, the noble lion, and then you got the, the stray, feral, mangefield pest of a dog digging through the, the trash and messing up the yard and all those kinds of things. Well, the preacher says a living dog's better than a dead lion. Well, why is that? Well, because the dog's still alive. And he's saying that's the way that you ought to look at your life. So, well, I've got problems. I've got, um, you know, all these types of things that are going bad. Yes, but God will give me another day. Even with the wicked, the living can still repent. They can still believe. The living can still trust in Jesus. The living can still live and love. There's still life. So Solomon's not saying that there's no life after death. But what Solomon is saying is, while there's life, there's living. Live while there's life. You can look at a friend and you say, well, they're so wicked, there's no hope for them. Well, that's not true according to the scripture. From our perspective, as long as they're living, they can still, um, we can still tell them about Jesus and still pray that they would come to, to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that's the point here. Not that there's not life after death, but while there is, live while there is life. And that's where we get to the last point here. Verses 7 through 10, and where we get the title of our message, to, to love, laugh, and feast. Go thy way, the preacher says. So the Lord is telling us what to do. And I've asked this quite a bit. Is that going to be law or gospel? If God tells you what to do, that's a law, isn't it? It's not grace. If God tells you what to do, then you got to do it. That's a law. So we're to go our way. Well, go our way and do what? Go and feast. Go and live a life of joy. Go and love. And have merriment. And rejoice and feast for the glory of God. In Christ, our works are accepted, for we're accepted in the beloved. Our works are acceptable because God has told us to do so. Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, drink thy wine with a merry heart, for God now accepteth thy works. Why? Because God told us to. We can go and enjoy the gifts that God has given us with a merry heart. We can go with joy. I wonder how much we lose out. Um, you know, there's, there's things that we know that we ought not to eat and that kind of thing. And I'm not saying not to worry about that, but, you know, with somebody that lives their life obsessed with trying to be a certain weight and have their body look a certain way, they miss out on joy in life, don't they? Eat that bread with joy. I saw a guy on, a fitness guy on YouTube, and he was talking about what he ate um, in a given day. And he woke up, and he'd get a scale out, and he'd weigh rice out, and he'd eat, he'd weigh it by the gram and eat the rice, and then he'd weigh his broccoli out by the gram and eat that, and then. He'd mix a bunch of plants up and, and drink that for a snack. And then he'd eat more rice and get a scale out for uh, chicken and eat that. And that's all. He ate the same thing every day, every day, every day. Then he'd go and he'd exercise for three or four hours a day. He did that every day. And then, you know, it was just a whole all-day production. Doing that, eating the same food, exercise, all so he can have, you know, the, the physique that he wanted. Oh, well, that's not, that's that's not living life with joy. That seems pretty stringent. That seems pretty hard. Well, God's given us good gifts, and one of them is the food that we have. We can thank God for it, and eat and drink to the glory of God. Live a joyful life. Be thankful for what God has given us. The Lord wants us to rejoice in this life, not because of the gifts, but glorify him with the gifts that he's given us. So verse number eight tells us that our garments always be white and let thy head lack no ointment. Put on the nice clothes, comb your hair. That's what the, the ointment would be. Live joyfully. When people in Bible times were sad and depressed, what did they do? You read that all the time. They're sad, they're depressed, they're upset about something. 
what they do? They, they rent their clothes, didn't they? They'd tear their clothes. They'd weep in sackcloth and ashes. They'd put on their potato sack garments, take ashes and put it on their head, mar their face up, and you'd walk down the street and see somebody in sackcloth with dirt all over their face. You'd say, boy, that, that person's in sorrow. Wonder what's wrong with them. They're mourning. What's God tell us to do? Put on our white. Anoint the head with oil. Rejoice. So what the preacher is saying is life is hard under the sun. We're going to die. And we're going to have hard days. We're going to have sad days. We're going to have horrible days. And so when we have a day with sunshine and fair weather, or when we come to the end of a hard day, but now we know it's over. He says, sit down, have a nice meal. Enjoy the blessings of the life. Enjoy what you have today because it's a gift from God. Enjoy life because God has given you today. Enjoy what the Lord has given you in Christ. There's joy and happiness and feasting now because there's that in the future. Jesus talks about it in Luke 14. It's in Revelation 19 in the marriage supper. Isaiah 25. There's feasting in the new heavens and the new earth. Feasting now is a foretaste of the banquet to come. Those good times that we have where we rejoice with our family, rejoice with our friends. That's a foretaste. That's not just something of this life. Don't want to be so spiritual. I don't enjoy being around people and fellowshipping. Well, that's sad because that's what heaven's going to be like. It's a foretaste of the glories to come. Well, he says, live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all thy days. The preacher said for husbands to live joyfully with their wife. And I think you could flip it too, that wives to live joyfully with their husbands. Life is short and time is short. So enjoy the days that you have together because that's your portion. And so husbands must live joyfully with their wife. And if you don't love them, you won't live joyfully. And if the wife doesn't submit to her husband, then she won't live joyfully. Right? So... You're not going to find joy in rebellion. You'll find joy in following Christ. So husbands are to love their wives. Wives are to submit to their husbands. And that's how you're going to find joy. To enjoy one another. And whatever you do, whatever work that you have, verse 10, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. Don't phone it in. Don't put it off. But live your fullest every day. Work hard, laugh hard, love mightily. You don't get a do-over. Do it all for the glory of God. Do it for the glory of Christ. Love your family with all your heart. Love the Lord with all your soul and strength and your might. Do your work with all that you have and do a good job. And whether it's doing homework or whether it's you know, writing reports, whether it's whatever work it is, right? Whatever you do, do it to your best. Because that's how the Lord would have us to live joyfully. 
every day. God has given us a life to live, so live it for his glory. This is not to make these things the object of your life. Because if you make living or some gift your God, you'll be left unfulfilled. But you live for glory, God's glory. I'm going to close with a story. You may have seen it. Um, a reporter asked um, the Oklahoma softball team recently, it was just prior to them winning the championship, about they, how they handled the pressure of being the number one team in the nation, having this long winning streak, going into the tournament, and having that target on their back of being the number one team. And he said, you've got that pressure of keeping the winning streak alive. Everybody's trying to beat you. You've got one goal is to win the championship, one loss, and it's all over with. Every time you win, that just brings more anxiety and more stress. Because what if you lose? He said, how do you, how do you keep on with that? Well, one, one of the girls answered and said, well, the only way that you can have joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. Any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. Then her teammate said, I went through that my freshman year. I was so happy that we won the College World Series, but I didn't feel any joy. I didn't know what to do the next day. I didn't know what to do for the following week. I didn't feel fulfilled. And I had to find Christ in that. I think that is what makes our team so strong, that we're not afraid to lose because it's not the end of the world if we do lose. Yes, obviously, we worked our butts off to be here and we want to win, but it's not the end of the world because our life is in Christ and that's all that matters. They had things in the right perspective. Obviously, they wanted to win the championship. But their life was in the hands of God. And she said, we don't have joy in that because, like the one girl said, when she didn't know Christ, she got everything that she wanted. She won the College World Series. And then afterwards, so now what? She wasn't fulfilled. She was living for that goal and got it and then realized it's empty, it's vanity, it's vexation of spirit. When your life is in Christ, you have Christ and you see everything as God's good gifts, whether you win or lose. Whether you live is Christ or die is gain. See, the Christian has a different perspective on life. Yes, it's hard. Yes, there's trials and there's struggles. But we have Christ. We have eternal life. We have true joy in him. And so when we reorient our life and, and renew our mind to think about things the right way, we don't look and say, well, I don't have all the things I want. We can look and say, look at all that Christ has given me. Look, I have a church of people who love the Lord and, and love one another. I have these blessings. I have a refrigerator full of food. I have, I get to go and eat my favorite meal. Sit down and drink a hot cup of coffee or cold glass of tea or whatever it might be and just taste it and say, boy, that's good. God is good. That's what Solomon is saying, that, that in God we can enjoy what he's given us and we can 
We can love completely and fully. We can laugh and rejoice and be merry in this life, knowing what we have waiting for us. And we can feast and we can uh, celebrate as a foretaste of, of heaven to come.